Welcome to Great Loop Radio, brought to you by America's Great Loop Cruisers Association. We're dedicated to sharing Great Loop information and inspiration with those actively cruising, planning for, or dreaming about a Great Loop adventure. This is Kim Russo. I'm the director of AGLCA. Today, we are going to start a two-part series that's designed to cover one of our hot topics. We've been getting lots of questions from members on how those who are preparing for the Great Loop can gain some experience aboard before going all in, spending the money on their own boat. Um, and this is important both from that, uh, how are you gonna like the lifestyle perspective, but also as more and more insurance companies are requiring more experience aboard a boat about the size of your Great Loop vessel. So we're gonna cover that topic. Today we'll, we'll be talking to Paul Goss and Susan Pellet. Both are members who have been on both sides of the equation of crewing aboard somebody else's boat. So Paul is a member who has previously many times taken crew aboard his boat during his boating career. And Susan is a gold looper who completed the Great Loop by crewing aboard somebody else's boat. Next week, uh, we'll turn it to some of our sponsors who provide some opportunities for you to get your feet wet, so to speak, in the looper lifestyle. And uh, we'll cover that topic next week. So before we start, we're going to bring Paul in first. But I do want to take a moment to recognize and thank our Admiral sponsors who support AGLCA at the highest level. They are Curtis Stokes and Associates, Passage Maker Trawler Fest, Skipper Bob Publications, and Waterway Guide Media. As always, we encourage our listeners to support these businesses that support the Great Loop. And of course, we thank them for their sponsorship. Let's go ahead and bring Paul Goss into the conversation. Paul, thanks for joining me today. Great to be here. Yeah, we appreciate you being here because this is um, something we get asked all the time is how can someone be crew for another member? So let's start off from the beginning, though. Tell us a little bit about yourself and your boating experiences so far. Well, I had um, quite a few short-term boating experiences. Um, in college, high school, and whatnot, but nothing really um, serious till about 1995 when I jumped in and bought a 30-foot sailboat and brought it home on a 120-mile trip across the New England coast. And over the years, um, sailed that boat quite a bit around New England and headed truck to California and I wanted to sail on the California coast, which anybody who's been there, it's much more daunting, less ports and whatnot. And I had three buddies in my yacht club with very experienced sailors who um, kind of took me under their wing and said, hey, well, if you want to sail down the coast of California, we've done it a lot of times, we'll go with you. So I got off to a start having crew. I mean, with their experience, it was more like I was crew, but it was my <laughs> boat. Um, and that matters when the push comes to shove. And so we did that. And when we um, moved up to a, a different sailboat, sailed that down the California coast and back, finally bought a 47-foot sailboat and sailed it with crew mostly um, from San Francisco to Portland, Maine, and then from Portland, Maine to St. John's, Newfoundland, and back to Florida. And I sold that a 47 foot boat was getting to be a little too much to take care of um, but I'd had um, a dozen two dozen different crew members over that time uh -huh. and then we bought the 20 uh, bought a 27 foot ranger tug that I have now 
And um, to my surprise, some of my rowdy sailing buddies were willing to um, stoop, if you will, to, to crew <laughs> on a powerboat. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and so with five of them working uh, on different legs of the trip, I went from Portland, Maine to Quebec, Canada and back to Portland again. So I did the, I guess what's usually called the triangle loop or the cat, yeah, triangle route, I guess, mm -hmm. up to uh, Quebec, up the, the Erie and the Oswego canals down through the, the, through the uh, Rideau Canal and back down through Lake Champlain. And so um, my wife, I, I tell people, is not much of a sailor, but she's probably sailed two or 3,000 miles with me. But wow. most of the time, she's, a, she's more into sewing and gardening. So it's usually uh, just me and rowdy crew members. <laughs> um, and we, you know, we use that term, I think, probably, uh, you know, midnight on most of my cruising boats has been about 9 p.m., so... <laughs> that's about like, for midnight yeah <laughs> we, we like the phrase though you know mm -hmm. it sounds good that we're rowdy sailors <laughs> anyway so that's that's been my past and in as part of that I, I have had a a 50 ton master's license and I'm a U.S. sailing certified coastal passage maker mm -hmm. so I've done the certification route as well yeah so obviously extensive experience. Um, yes. And as I said, when, when uh, we were talking about this, insurance companies are requiring more experience aboard these days. And, you know, we've got people who are just hearing about the Great Loop and have not been boaters and are, you know, super interested in trying out the lifestyle before they buy their own boat. So having people looking for crew is a great opportunity. Um, so, you know, you've done this many times. Um, primarily now looking for crew um, because your wife isn't all that interested in doing the great loop with you. Um, and that's typical, you know, we typically have, when someone is looking for a crew, it's typically a solo boater who either doesn't want to do any of it alone, or there's certain parts um, for locking through, et cetera, that they're looking for a crew to help make it easier. So um, tell us a little bit about your plans. You're looking to do the entire loop. Are you looking, well, actually, I'm not sure that that's true. Tell us where you're looking to go um, and whether you're looking for crew for all of it or parts of it or how you're planning to work this out. Well, um, I've, I've done the uh, east coast of the U.S. I've been up and down, uh -huh. uh, mostly coastally, not on the ICW. Um, but this time, my aim is to go from Maine, which is my home port, Portland, Maine, um, around the loop counterclockwise and to Stewart, Florida, which is actually my residence now. Uh -huh. And then I will spend the winter in um, Stewart. Florida is a great place to have a boat in the wintertime. Not so sure. great in the summertime, it's a little, <laughs> hot, little hot and muggy. Uh -huh. And in the spring, I will bring the boat back to Maine. So, um, Officially, you know, I'm going to declare that I've done the loop when I get to Stewart because I've been there, but um, I will be doing the rest of the loop. So if somebody wanted an opportunity to do the entire loop, there is certainly that possibility for them to do that. 
-hmm. On the other hand, I've usually um, picked up and dropped off crew somewhere in the voyage. And so, in fact, when I send people my my schedule, um, I have a planning spreadsheet I use. I normally include a list of the nearby airports uh -huh. because basically for me, um, cruising has ultimately been from one airport to another because that's how you get to your boat. It's how your crew gets to your boat. It's how you go home to see the family if you've been away for months. Um, so I'm certainly open to people doing legs of the journey. Um, and the easiest way for them to do that is, is you know, from one major airport to another. But um, I've had people do it other ways. I've had people drive in. I've had people take the train. Whatever works. Yeah, and it, it's it's very um, helpful, I think, that you ha have had so much experience with taking crew aboard because we're, we're talking kind of primarily about your current plan, but you've got that vast level of experience about how things have worked sure. in the past. So um, from a, a captain's perspective, bringing on crew, uh, do you have preference for somebody who is willing to do a longer stretch versus those shorter stretches? I would think that that logistically is a little bit easier if someone is willing to stay for a little bit of a longer term. Yes. I mean, it's, I mean, right now, the ideal is someone said, hey, I want to do the whole loop. You know, I want to, I want to get my birdie without ever buying a boat. I mm -hmm. mean, I, I, I assume the rules allow for that. Oh, you know? yeah. It's the, the, yep. <laughs> you don't have to do it on the same boat. Um, person, you you yeah. need to be aboard for the route and it can be split up however you choose, aboard whatever boats you choose. So, right. yeah, absolutely. So, so that you're, is certainly you're, allowed. You're correct logistically. But as a, for instance, last time I had two people from Maine to um, Albany, basically. Then I had two people from Albany to Montreal and two people from Montreal back to Portland. Mm -hmm. So it, um, you know, the, the length of a leg is, is, is kind of relative. Um, right. I suppose about the shortest might be, a, in time might be a week. Um, but because mm -hmm. the airports, especially on the down leg through the rivers, um, it's pretty much Chicago, St. Louis, and Mobile that are really, you know, major airports on the route. So, right. Anything else can be a pretty big, pretty big hike to just to get to yes. the airport. Yep. So, yep. Um, tell us again, Paul, what kind of boat you have now? I have a Ranger Tug 27 inboard. Mm -hmm. And so from a crew perspective, uh, it sounds like you're looking for two people. Is that kind of a must-have or are you willing to consider a no, one person? No, I've crewed with one, one other person is, is quite doable on the loop uh -huh. because um, we're not doing 24-hour sailing. When I was doing, you know, long-distance cruising, we needed, we usually had four people so we could do um, sail overnight. Uh -huh. So one person would work fine. Um, locking, I found it's ideal to have three people, have one at the bow, one at the stern, one at the helm and piece of cake. But um, two works quite well. Right. So, and, and this is kind of a, a tough question because when we have had members able to pair up with, um, you know, someone who had a boat and was looking for crew, 
particularly on the longer stretches. Um, the challenges sometimes come down to personalities um, because you are spending an extended amount of time in fairly close quarters with someone yep. who is not somebody you know well. Um, yep. So tell us a little bit about some of the characteristics that you think make that relationship work and that you'd be looking for in a crew member. Sure. Well, I'd say this, the simplest way to put it is that um, someone who plays well with others. Mm -hmm. um, sailors and loopers probably tend to be kind of an independent lot, which is good up to a point. But um, it's important that people be able to take instruction gracefully. Um, aside from that, um, I think that the in terms of the just requirements that being able to um, steer a boat, follow a course and know the rules of the road and be willing to follow them is probably first in terms of their crew skills they need. And next would be basic line handling because you tend to be um, counting on crew to toss a line to the dock or put a line on a cleat or in the case of locks, which there are many, of course, um, just holding on to a line as you go up and down. Uh -huh. But that's, um, but you're right. It's, it's basically um, chemistry, as it is a small space, especially on a range of 27, um, because it's, it's, it's definitely a traveling boat. My, my daughter's recommends it that I just name it suitcase <laughs> and she said you know it's it's not something you really live aboard it's something you kind of live out of um, and that's kind of the way that the loop is perfect for that because um, traditionally everybody stops every night and there's the almost always the option of stopping at a at a dock mm -hmm. so you know typical afternoon is, you know, pull in late afternoon or something, um, see what's in town for restaurants, have dinner. Um, you don't spend a lot of time sitting around on the boat. So that's kind of how you, you uh, um, and it gets everybody out and gets them all away from each other if that's what they want. <laughs> yeah, and, and for some spouses doing the loop, that's important too. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, that, that time in port where you can, everybody can kind of do their own thing is important regardless of how you're doing the loop. Um, yep. But, you know, you mentioned restaurants and dinner, which of course is something that goes hand in hand. And of course, there's going to be eating that happens and that's just one of the expenses. Yeah. So that kind of brings us to um, the financial arrangements. And I want to be careful on this topic because, you know, certain circumstances, certain uh, money changing hands can invoke a charter relationship which requires other insurance. And, you know, we're not covering that today. Um, so for people out there who might be listening and thinking that they're going to bring crew aboard and charge them something, you know, just caution there are, you know, that becomes a charter very quickly, um, depending on the circumstances. I'm not a legal expert in any of that, sure. but, you know, specific to you, Paul, taking crew aboard, what is the typical financial arrangement for somebody who's willing to crew, um, particularly if they're with you for a long stretch? Sure. Well, we've had different arrangements over the years. Um, what seems to work the best is that um, I 
split the costs with the marginal costs. In other words, I assume the cost of basically owning a boat, insuring the boat, all that maintenance of this, um, because I would do that whether I traveled um, or had crew or not. So that's my idea is that's a fixed cost for me. So then I, I look to the crew to, for all of us to share the marginal expenses, which is usually your dock fee, canal fees, um, whatever food we eat on board, um, fuel. And part of what that does is it, it kind of gives everybody a similar monetary incentive. In other words, you can usually go places faster if you don't mind spending money faster on fuel. Uh-huh. You can have, you can have um, you know, swankier lodgings, restaurants and whatnot, if you don't mind if, if, if you're willing to spend the money or you can save money by anchoring out. And I just find it's good to have everybody have a, a similar stake in those day-to-day financial decisions. So what, what we do is we, we pay our own way in terms of when we eat out, but whatever we consume on the boat, um, we, we share. And there again, we can we can do the trade-off. It's cheaper to eat on the boat if we want to. Um, so that's that's it. It's more a matter of keeping our um, decision-making aligned. Right, that makes sense. <laughs> than, than it is a matter of the of the um, the need for money. Mm-hmm. So, which isn't isn't a big deal right now, thankfully, yeah. my life. So, so that kind of explains, you know, to, to someone who's never contemplated something like this, how it works. Um, you know, any other tips, anything you want to suggest if somebody's contemplating um, either looking for crew or serving as crew um, from someone uh, like you, you're probably one of the most experienced members we have in terms of, of putting together these relationships and making it work. So just any final tips you have for us on, on making sure things go smoothly? Well, I guess you have to, um, in terms of of the captain of the boat, you you have to make peace with the idea that if you're going to have crew changes, they need to have a schedule. And I know that um, loopers in particular and sailors in general try really hard to spell schedule with four letters. Um, I've just never found that that was practical. I've always had a reason why I needed to be places to pick people up or drop them off. And so far that has never, um, driven me to, um, sail when I shouldn't, which is the big worry that you will make unwise decisions. But on the other hand, taking on crew it's um, was the little prince says that taming an animal is a big responsibility. Well, taking on crew relieves you of some responsibility, but it gives you others. And, and you have to be willing to, to, to deal with that. You give up some autonomy in exchange for having some help and some companionship. 
very well said. Thank you for that. Um, oh, just one thing I wanted to yeah. say. I did. I didn't get my my camera lined up for it, but I did wear my. Um, ah, very nice. My, the Erie Canal. Uh, I wanted yep. to put a plug for the Erie Canal Museum <laughs> in Syracuse. It's it's off the beaten track a little bit, but it's a wonderful uh, experience to go to. So. Excellent. So for those watching or listening who are, you know, curious about this and are interested perhaps in crewing for Paul on his way around the loop, he currently has an ad running in the AGLCA classifieds. Um, only members can post ads, but anyone can look at those ads. So uh, go to greatloop.org from the shop menu, you'll see a link to the classifieds. Um, and that is how you can get in touch with Paul for more information or to, to consider crewing for him. So, Paul, thank you. This has been really um, enlightening because it's, it's not as common as I think it's, it's going to become, um, these crew-captain relationships. So it's great to hear from someone who's done it successfully for years, and we appreciate you sharing that information. Well, thank you for giving me the opportunity. Yeah, and good luck with finding the crew that you need for your loop. Um, keep us posted on how it's going. Will do. All right. Uh, we'll be back in a moment. We're going to play a message real quick from one of our sponsors. When we come back, we'll bring in Susan Pellet. Susan's going to talk a little bit from the other side of an arrangement like this. She actually, um, after starting the loop on her own boat, completed the loop aboard someone else's boat. So she'll tell her story and, and uh, tell about, you know, serving as crew, although I think they consider themselves co-captains on the boat she was on. Um, but we'll hear Susan's story next. So we'll be back in a moment. Green Turtle Bay Marina and Resort has consistently been voted a must-stop by loopers. It has earned the coveted five-anchor designation from Quimby's Cruising Guide. This full-service marina features over 450 slips. They are located at mile marker 31.5 on the scenic Cumberland River. Green Turtle Bay is a proud commander sponsor of AGLCA, so join them and find your waterway of life. We're back on Great Loop Radio. My next guest today is Susan Pellet, and I'm really excited to have Susan with us. Susan is one of our gold loopers, and she's got a, a really neat story uh, that does fit in with today's topic about crewing. But we're going to start off. Um, first of all, Susan, welcome. Thanks for joining us. It's great to see you. Wonderful to be here. I so, love everything loop. Yeah, start off um, telling us about Susie Q, and uh, Susan actually began the loop single handing on her own boat and Susie Q met an untimely demise. Thankfully, Susan was fine, but go ahead and tell us what happened um, on your solo loop with Susie Q. All right. Um, I, I'm a disabled person. And, and so I got me the littlest boat that I could be comfortable on and got her ready to single hand the loop over a three year period as money allowed. And took off April 1st, 2017 out of Tampa Bay, Florida, and went around through Lake Okeechobee. Um, lost my boat dog the second night in an anchorage at Stump Pass, but fortunately got her back. A little worse for wear, but um, I had a, met a, another looper that was also single-handed and he was encouraging me on uh, Dreamboat Annie to um, come on, I could do this on my own. And so I finally ran into him in North Carolina, I believe. And we buddy boated some together until we got to the Virginia Cut 
mile marker 12. I was at Atlantic Yacht Basin and a jumbo hopper barge come through that lift bridge at midnight. And there were 22 of us loopers having docktails that evening. And um, that barge missed its mark. And I was on the face dock, the very first boat on the face dock and Dreamboat Annie was right behind me. And that barge come and folded my boat in half right up against the, the face dock. And she was hanging on her lines in the morning. Um, that night it was cold and raining and I had spent the night on Dreamboat Annie. We were gonna make boat cards because both of us just getting started out and we didn't have any boat cards to share at Docktails. So boat cards didn't get made. And next morning, the um, barge company's marine surveyor was out there walking the docks looking for me. And, oh, I was just hysterical when it finally stopped raining and I walked up to get my breakfast bread out of my literal refrigerator to share for breakfast and saw that the gunnel was broken and oh it was it was terrible was yeah terrible. and thankfully you weren't aboard when this happened I mean that's um exactly. if there was a bright side thankfully you were fine yep and so Dreamboat Annie let me put all my gear because I figured on my little Suzy Q was a gas engine and my disability income, I was, it was gonna take me three years to afford the fuel to make that trip. And I was gonna go as long as it was fun. Uh -huh. When it wasn't fun anymore, then I was gonna call home and tell them to bring me my trailer. So they brought my trailer anyway. And I put all my crap on Dreamboat Annie because the people at the marina said, if you don't want your stuff pilfered through, you need to get it off the boat. So I did uh -huh. that. And he went on and the kids came and picked me up on Mother's Day. And I cried as all the people left me and they got me a really nice card. The association is just fabulous, uh -huh. like family. And went, came back home. I bought me another boat to put all my goodies on to, so I could do my loop again. And, and that boat's going to be Suzy Q2 and she's still not done. And Dreamboat Annie went on up the way while Captain got hurt and he was just about to enter the Erie Canal. He got hurt in New York and he posted that if he was going to finish the trip, he was going to need help. And so I was like, pick me, I volunteered. <laughs> I had booked a flight to Pittsburgh where I'm from for a class reunion that summer. And so that was gonna be afterwards. So I used that return ticket to get back. But anyway, I booked a flight and I flew to Albany and I got on the boat with, on Dreamboat Annie and I crewed with him across the Erie Canal, Oswego, and the Trent Severn, uh -huh. through all those locks with him. And it was beautiful and it was great just to be crew and not be responsible for anything, <laughs> the lines and the fenders and all went like that. And he was also disabled, so we had a connection there and he uh -huh. didn't get off the boat. 
So when we would get to the wall or wherever we were stopping, I was usually off the boat being the social butterfly and mm-hmm. what so tell us, you know, especially after having your own boat, but um, was it challenging to be aboard somebody else's boat as crew? I mean, you already knew the boat. Um, we're already familiar. Um, you know, a lot of it is personality wise. Was there, were there any challenges there with spending that much time with someone in close quarters? When I crewed as crew on Dreamboat Annie, yeah, I was ready to get off the boat when we landed mm-hmm. and, and be with other people because mm-hmm. it was, you know, we weren't a couple. We were, I was just on there. So mm-hmm. yeah, when it, it was a little awkward. Um, but then whenever I was co-captain, are we there yet? When I co-captained on a Lone Z, um, can we go there yet? Yeah, let's go ahead and talk about that because, um, you know, you crewed aboard Dreamboat Annie. Um, yeah. A Lone Z uh, is the boat you actually completed your loop aboard. Um, and it wasn't and your too. boat. The co-captain um, was the owner of the boat. So, you know, tell us about that arrangement and how that came to be that you completed your, your loop aboard that boat as co-captain. So, um, 18 came and went 2018 and I continue to read the forum every day and helps to keep the dream alive. And the winter holidays, uh, was out at our, our camp in the middle of Florida on a lake and, um, reading the forum and I caught this thread from a fella that said he had bought the boat to live aboard and always dreamed of doing the loo and after he single-handed it from North Carolina to Louisiana where his family is from he decided that doing the loop by himself wouldn't be very fun so I just picked up on that thread And so I messaged him and I said, would you consider female crew? And he said, no, but he would explore a female co-captain. Very intelligent man. Uh And there's that always that thing about whether it's a charter. Right. So by being co-captains, well, I wanted him to send me a picture of the boat. And he thought that was some kind of an inappropriate joke. And I'm like, no, seriously, I'm disabled. And I need to see whether I'll be able to get around on your boat. I mean, my boat was little and on one level and I could reach the bow to the stern of Susie Q with boat hook. Uh So he said, I think it would be good for you to come and meet the boat and myself and see what goes from there. So I flew out to Louisiana at the end of January of 2019 and I spent four days out there and first thing off the bat we go up on the bridge and this boat has evidently been sitting about four or five months and the Isinglass was so dirty you couldn't see out and since he had help he wanted to flush the poop tank and he wanted me to drive the boat. I mean, he wanted me to drive the boat and it's like 40 foot Silverton with twin diesels. And I had a 21 foot cutty cabin with a single IO. And I have driven, my parents had a houseboat, a big houseboat and it had 
twin screws. So, and um, Dreamboat Annie had twin engines and I had the opportunity to drive it a few times. So we took it out on Lake Pontchartrain. And once he got it out of the river, it's like, okay, I'll do this now. But the windows were so dirty, I had to drive by the, the chart plotter. You couldn't even see out, it was terrible. So anyway, on, the, on our way back in, he's like, you wanna see what it'll do? So I put that 40 foot vessel up on plane coming up the river. And I think my eyes went up as the RPMs went up. It was just, <laughs> it was so fun. I've been a river rep my whole life. And so being around boats, it was exciting. So then we had the discussion about the finances. Um, we did a spreadsheet. We were very upfront about how much I could afford to put in. Um, we put shareable expenses in a Word document spreadsheet with a cap on my side. And my cap was $650. Um, that's all I could afford to put into the boat and leave myself enough for food and get my hair done and whatever on the uh -huh. land. Um, so it was all up front and it was in black and white on the sheet. Um, the, we, we talked about how we planned to, how we would prefer to eat. And, and we both on the down low, we prefer to eat on the boat, you know, frugal. I'll put us, I'll call us frugal. We were both frugal. So that made it work out pretty well. Um, I was just looking at a thing here. Do you, do you know that we only fueled up 10 times in the nine months we were out? Wow. So that's amazing. How big um, were, do you recall how big the fuel tanks were? Uh, 150 each, uh -huh. I believe. Uh -huh. 150 each. That was dollars. Yeah. I had, at, at the end, I had made a list of things and details and whatnot. And I just counted that up, the name and the names of the marinas where we got fuel because we shop for the cheapest fuel sure. and we stayed in Anchorages and we looked for pools for my aqua therapy. And I use a bicycle when I get off the boat and he was just, he was 74 and I was 59 and he was always good about getting my bike down for me and we helped each other get it back up and, and it just worked out really well for him and I to, you know, we got to know each other over four days and we weren't in a physical or emotional relationship. Uh -huh. So made it uncomplicated. <laughs> right. Um, so so uh, it was big enough for me to be in the front and him to be in the back and, and that worked out real well. Right. Go so ahead. it sounds like it was important that your personalities meshed and you figured that out ahead of time, but also that you were both on the same page with the finances, um, because mm -hmm. he uh, was a very extravagant wanting to stay at marinas all the time. Um, and you were on more of a budget that may have been more of a challenge. So it sounds like that's a good tip for people who may be looking for a similar arrangement. Did you find other loopers out there who are doing something similar, either, you know, serving as crew for a solo looper or uh, acting as co-captain or, or any similar arrangements? It sounds like you were able to make that work a few times. Um, just curious and how I common you think it is. Uh, 
it's not real common. Mm -hmm. I got a lot of, well, how's that working out? Because I had a significant other at home and I was gone for nine continuous months. Mm -hmm. But um, I met one other that had crew and his crew changed out. Mm -hmm. uh, Various places I would see him and he'd have a different crew member aboard. Um, and I'm not sure how he went about getting his crew persons. Mm -hmm. um, but I do think that I was very persistent. So many, there were so many reasons why I couldn't do this and why I shouldn't do this, but I wanted to do this really bad. And so where there's a will, there's a way, you know, persistence, being involved with the association, going to rendezvous or looper lifestyles, just collecting all the information you can to be prepared. And it, the opportunity will pop up if it's meant to be. Yeah. Well, um, and Susan, you absolutely exemplify the idea that if there's a will, there's a way. And that's one of the things I love about your story um, is, you know, what happened to Susie Q was so devastating for anybody in that circumstance. Um, but, and you went home and immediately started on the next boat um, and found out that that was going to take a little while longer than you had hoped and, and went ahead and, and completed the loop anyway, which, as I said, one of the things I love about your story. Um, any other advice you might give to somebody who is contemplating the idea of exploring the looper lifestyle or gaining experience um, by serving as crew? Any suggestions for them? I would say study like you're going to do it yourself so that you have knowledge, if not experience, at least knowledge, be prepared so that, you know, if, if the stars align and, and, and it's able to happen, you're ready, ready to go. Cause it's really exciting. Just following everybody. I don't know how many mornings I had tears in my coffee wishing I was out there, mm -hmm. but then the time came and it's like, Oh, I've talked to that person before. I know that person. And, and when I was out there on my, my adventure, it's like, I've heard of you. And I'm like, yep, that's me. I'm still out here. <laughs> so do you think you'll and do I, it again? I do. I do. My significant other is about four years from retirement if all goes well mm -hmm. and if Susie Q2 gets ready we may run up to the Bahamas um she's a 28 foot celebrity so kind of a sport cruiser mm -hmm. and now that I've done it on a Silverton and I've been on a full-blown trawler Mm -hmm. I'm not sure that the sport cruiser is going to be comfortable to do long-term, mm -hmm. but, you know, for two or three weeks at a time, and I can get that platinum flag by yeah. just connecting a few other dots because of my crewing on Andre Boat Annie and the beginning of the journey on Suzy Q and along Z, I started in Louisiana and went the whole way around. So, right. So um, if the opportunity arose and Suzy Q2 wasn't ready yet, do you think you would do it by crewing again? I or, might. Or co-captaining? I might. Yes. Yeah. I might. I might consider it. And, and I would still go with the same entity. As long as it's fun, I'll stay on the boat. 
Yeah. It is a challenge to be on a boat with a stranger. Uh -huh. but as long as you're open-minded and, and a loving soul, um, it can work out. And yeah, I, I would, I would do it again in the right, under the right circumstances. Yeah. Right now I have my father-in-law is not doing real well. And my significant other has asked me to stick around. Uh -huh. And so I'm going to honor that and stick around. But if the timing was right, I would do it again. Yeah. Well, we're hopeful to see you out there again, Susan, whether it's on Suzy Q2 or a trawler that maybe is Suzy Q3, or if it ends up being crew, um, regardless, your story really is inspiring to many because of your stick to um, mm -hmm. And we just wanted to uh, say thank you for sharing that information. And um, thanks for telling your story. All right. Thank you for having me. And anytime I can help anyone along the way, I'll be happy to do it. Thank you, Susan. That's very sweet. We appreciate it. And to all of our listeners and viewers, thank you for joining us again this week. We'll be back next week with another episode of Great Loop Radio. Next week is, um, as I said in the intro, kind of part two to this little mini series we're doing on ways to get some experience or to kind of try out the looper lifestyle before buying your own boat. So today we talked about crewing. Next week, we'll talk about some opportunities that some of our sponsors offer to um, give you a little bit of time aboard before you really go all in and purchase that boat for yourself. So we'll be back next week. Thanks for listening. Safe cruising until then. Bye-bye, everyone. Bye.